It's a blessing to see you all here this morning. I mean that. Uh, if you're visiting with us at, uh, at Solid Rock, I want to introduce myself if I haven't had a chance to do that. My name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of pastoring here at the church. And I often say, you already know this, I would go to church here even if I wasn't the pastor. And I mean that with all sincerity. And I would just add to that um, just how deeply um, my family has come to love you guys as a church. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing in our church. We're humbled to be a part of it, not just what he's doing right now, but where he's leading us into the future. And I just want to say that um, from the bottom of my heart, I love you. I really do. I love every one of you. And I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Um, we are going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter one to start a new sermon series together. I'm also excited about this, uh, this journey with you. I have never preached verse by verse through Acts. And so we're going to do that starting today, looking at this amazing narrative story of the church launching. And so we'll, we'll jump on that in just a minute. But first, a really important announcement I want to make. Um, if you are here and you are married or you think you might want to be one day, um, we have an exciting class coming up, a very helpful marriage class coming up uh, titled, What Did You Expect? What a great question, right? Well, what did you expect? Uh, no, seriously, this is a fantastic um, teaching by uh, Dr. Paul Tripp. This is actually a book I use in marriage counseling. Uh, many of you have been through this book with me. Um, we're actually launching a class in two weeks on September 11th, um, and it will be a 10-week class for, for couples, uh, even if you're engaged or you're thinking about becoming engaged, but especially for those of you who are married who have come to the point where you've had to answer this question, what did I expect was going to happen? Um, it'll be a fantastic biblical study on marriage. Um, there will be um, a, a, actually a video lecture by Paul Tripp to start the class, and then you'll spend time in small groups discussing how to practically apply those biblical truths to your marriage and your life, sharing struggles and victories. Um, the book is not required. You can buy the book if you want and read it along with the class, uh, but the class is free of charge, but we do need you to register. And so if you're interested in that, you go to our website, go to resources and marriage classes on there. Um, again, it's free of charge, but we do need a head count because we've got to print out the booklets that you'll be going through and getting a head count for the class so we make sure we have all the rooms set up. So um, highly encourage you to, to go through this class. Um, if you can't make it through this time, just be watching for it because we'll be doing it again um, sometime in the next year. So um, what did you expect starts in two weeks. We are running it in the 10 o'clock service, which is this, this, time, uh, this service time, uh, so that you could come to the 8... 15 service and then hang around for the marriage class or go to the marriage class and then maybe hang around for the 1145. Um, it's not meant to replace a service, but we did it in the 10 o'clock slot. So hopefully you could come early or stay late. So um, highly encourage you to do that. All right. What did you expect? Fantastic question. All right. So I don't know what you expected when you came to church this morning, but we are ready to open God's word to Acts 1 and start the new sermon series. Now the, the subtitle of the sermon series is the unstoppable church. And it's gonna take two Sundays to fully explain that subtitle, okay? So we're gonna start on it today, but really we're not gonna talk a whole lot about the church today. We'll come back next week and talk about the unstoppable church. Today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at uh, this mission of God that we see in the Bible um, from about 30,000 feet, what's happening from cover to cover in your Bible. And then from there, we're gonna be able to understand more importantly, what the Holy Spirit is doing, not just in biblical times in the book of Acts, but we're gonna better understand what the Holy Spirit of God is doing today in this service, in your life, in your heart, how what is happening right now in this moment, this holy designed moment is closely connected to the mission of God from the beginning. Okay, and so we're going to look at just briefly from the beginning of time, God creates the heavens and the earth and at the pinnacle of creation, he creates us as his image bearers to inhabit his kingdom and reflect his glory here on earth. Now, I mean, just as soon as the story gets started, Genesis 3, we wreck the place, right? God in his providence allows us to make choices, to choose sin, to choose to be disobedient, and the train comes off the tracks in a horrible wreck in Genesis 3, which we call the fall. Now, since that moment in human history forward, God the Father has been seeking to restore all this. Now, all through your Old Testament, from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of your Old Testament, you're going to read about the story of God the Father seeking to rescue what was lost, to call to himself 
a people. You're going to get story after story in the Old Testament of, of us continuing to wreck the place. All these great biblical heroes that we look to in the Old Testament really contributed to this continuation of the wreck of the fall. You look at guys like Abraham, right? This great patriotic leader uh, in the Old Testament. How many times does Abraham sell his wife out to save his own life in the book of Genesis, right? Look at Moses. I mean, wow, he was a, a valiant leader, right? He, he didn't even have his own voice. He was scared to death to talk in front of people. Time after time again, he lets the children of God rebel against God. How about King David, right? The man after God's own heart. Surely this guy's a hero we can look to. I don't think so. Go read Psalm 51 and then ask yourself, why did David have to repent like that? Because he was an adulterous, murdering liar, Right, And so the Old Testament is just story after story of human beings wrecking the place. And this amazing promise of God, this mission to restore and to redeem what has been lost. Then we get to the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is where the loving Father sends his one and only Son to earth. That whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. And so the mission of the Father becomes the mission of the Son in the Gospels here on earth. Jesus comes to earth in a temporary fashion. About 33 years, he lives and walks on earth, dies, and then resurrects and ascends back to the Father. But he had a mission while he was here on earth. When we get to the book of Acts, the very next book in your Bible, what we're going to see now is the mission of the Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead coming to lead the charge on this same mission. And we're here today as a part of that same mission. And we're gonna get started now in Acts chapter one with the very first few words, and then we're gonna stop and talk about it. Acts chapter one, here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, Man, what an earth-shattering verse of scripture right there, right? Let's stop and talk about that. Well, what we're, what, we're, what we're finding out here, first of all, is we've got an indication of who's writing this book, who they're writing it to, and why they're writing it. So let me just give you some background. We know that Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke, is writing down this account of Acts. The book of Acts is a narrative. It's telling what happened. It's not always telling what should happen. It's telling us what happened. Right, And so through the book of Acts, we're going to get the story of the church launching the good, bad, and the ugly. Amazing stories of victory. Some amazing displays of the power of God. We're going to see how the church overcame bigotry and racial tensions even. Right there in the book of Acts. But the author, Luke, is writing a second book. Right, He wrote the first book, Luke, and now he's writing a second book. And he's writing it to Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? So there's some debate on whether or not Theophilus was actually a real person or not, because his name literally means loved one by God. And so some people think that maybe he was just a figurative person, that, that Luke is just writing to us, loved, loved ones by God, right? Love those who are loved by God. And so then maybe that's what he's doing. But if you read the gospel of Luke, it sounds like he's actually talking to a person who has some high stature in the uh, culture of the day and time, maybe a political leader or religious leader. But regardless of the who, He's writing with a singular purpose to introduce Theophilus to Christ through the Gospels and then to encourage his faith through the book of Acts. And so we can read it today, right, as we open the book of Acts, understanding that's Luke's intent. And ultimately what God wants to do is to stir our hearts, to firm up what maybe we already believe, and then to grow us in that, encourage us in our faith. In the first book, O Theophilus, and so here's where we're going to go next. The rest of verse 1, Luke writes, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what Luke wants us to do is he wants us to closely connect whatever God is doing in the book of Acts with what God was doing in the Gospels. And he's saying, Theophilus, I've already gone over everything that Jesus did here on earth. Verse 2, until that day when he was taken up and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So in order for us to fully understand what's going to take place in the book of Acts, we've got to first understand what took place in the Gospels. 
If we're going to understand the mission of the Holy Spirit of God here on earth. Now, here's the thing, like, this is going to be an exciting sermon series. The Holy Spirit of God is going to do some amazing, powerful, and sometimes crazy things. Things that are going to cause us to take a step back and go, whoa, I didn't know God did things like that. We get just two weeks from now, at, at the, when we get to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, we're going to see this amazing movement of the powerful Holy Spirit of God. But if we don't first understand that whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, he's continuing what Jesus did first. And that the mission of the Father is the mission of the Son is the mission of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke starts by reminding Theophilus, remember, we need to start with what Jesus has done. So if you're taking notes with us today, um, if you haven't grabbed one yet and you'd like to, feel free. We put sermon notes in the seats in front of you, and we're starting back with our fill-in-the-blanks today. We do this from now all the way through the end of May. These actually coordinate with our community group discussions. So if you're in a community group, not, not this weekend, but next weekend, you guys will be discussing what we're talking about today. So I encourage you to write notes and then take them, your notes with you just as a way of reminder. Here's what God spoke to me. Here's what God showed me to encourage one another for that. If you're not in a community group, fill out a connect card, let us know. Let us get you plugged into one. Um, but we are going to be back on the fill in the blanks. So the first section of what we're going to be looking at today is the mission of Jesus. To understand the mission of the Holy Spirit, let's first take some uh, stock and inventory on what Jesus came to earth to do. Now, we're going to look at this from 30,000 feet. Okay? We're not going to get into the details of how many people were fed, uh, where was he at when he walked on water, who got raised from the dead. We're looking from the big picture of Jesus, the Son of God, leaving his throne of glory, coming to earth, walking among us, dying, resurrected, and then returning back to the right hand of the Father. Okay, so from 30,000 feet, here we go. The mission of Jesus was to, first of all, live perfectly. Live perfectly. Now, there were two reasons why Jesus lived perfectly among us. The first reason is because he is perfect. He didn't have the option to not be perfect. And by perfect, I mean perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly good. It was his character to be that. Now, second of all, though, he comes to earth to live perfectly among us on our behalf. Now, think about that. Jesus is 30 years, 30, 33 years here on earth. He's living perfectly. He's actually living that perfectness on your behalf. Why? Because there isn't a person among us who can live perfectly. There isn't anybody who measures up to that standard, right? You could have grown up in church from a little boy or girl, became a Christian when you were four years old, was baptized, you've been in Bible studies and Awana, and you've memorized the whole Old Testament, and like, you're the churchiest, churchy person I know. Guess what? You don't measure up to that standard of perfect. Or maybe like me, you didn't grow up in church and you're, you're late to the game, and right? There's plenty of proof in your past that you're not perfect. So Jesus comes to live perfectly on our behalf. So any pressure you feel to perform to make God love you, Jesus has said, whoa, 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 whoa. I've already performed for you. I did it, 33 years worth. I've, I've already earned the Father's favor for you live perfectly, and he came to die sacrificially. This is so important. Jesus didn't get backed in a corner. Jesus didn't get caught off guard or trapped. He willfully, obediently, knowingly went to the cross to die because he deserved it? No, because he chose to die on our behalf. What we see at the cross is what each one of us deserves. He dies willfully, sacrificially on the cross in our place. And then he resurrects victoriously, defeating sin and death. Victoriously defeating sin and death. Why is that significant? Since Genesis 3, since the first moment of disobedience to God, we have existed underneath the captivity and the shadow of sin and death. Isn't a person alive or ever been alive who could overcome sin on their own strength or death on their own strength? And we give it a valiant effort, don't we? We have some incredibly talented, gifted, compassionate medical workers, many of whom are in this church, 
who work really hard to preserve life, to heal, to bring diagnosis and medication, maybe even at times bring back to life. And we, we fight hard to keep people alive, don't we? But at the end of the day, there's nothing we can do to defeat death. Sin is the same way. Valiant effort. Go to, the, go to the self-help section at any secular bookstore. What is that? Those are attempts to fix the sin problem. They don't always call it sin, right? But these are attempts to fix what's broken inside of us, what's wrong inside of us. Not a human being in their own power, own strength can fix their sin problem. That should, for some of you that, that didn't know that, should be going, thank you. Now, we haven't got to the solution yet, but thank you. That explains, right, why I've been in this perpetual cycle of trying to make myself better, and I keep failing. The more I fail, the more I try to pretend like I'm not failing. I try to hide my mistakes, and, and I just keep trying. I'm done. I'm tired. Finally, somebody is saying what I already know. I can't fix me. You came to live perfectly, die sacrificially, resurrect victoriously. And we've got to understand that in order to understand what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in the church. Verse 3, still talking about Jesus, he presented himself alive to them. This is after the resurrection. After his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, before we read verse 4, let's understand something about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection wasn't just a rumor, right? He didn't just... Right, leave the tomb empty. The disciples found the empty tomb and then just drew a conclusion. He resurrected. He must have. He didn't just appear in one event to a few people. He appeared over and over and over again, which is what Luke is picking up on here. This wasn't just a rumor. It wasn't just a one-time event. For 40 days after his resurrection, he walked among us. He talked and taught among us. He literally, really resurrected from the dead. And then in verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now, let's stop for just a minute, okay? So if we had read the whole book of Luke before we started here, we would have read that after the resurrection, Jesus talked about a mission that he was on that he was going to give to his disciples to take the gospel, the good news, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But right here we're reading that there was a time period where Jesus said, you stay in Jerusalem and don't leave. And so he says, stay in Jerusalem, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there's going to be this period of waiting between the resurrection and the mission, mission getting started. And Jesus says, don't get started too soon. Matter of fact, don't get started until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't get started until the Holy Spirit comes. He says, John baptized with water, but you, my followers, are going to be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You need to be born both of water and spirit talking about what? Being baptized, submerged in the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what we're going to see now take place is we're going to see a shift after verse 5, starting next week in verse 6. We're going to begin to see this ramp up and this expectation and this waiting for and longing for the Holy Spirit to come. We know that when Jesus was here on earth, he talked about the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a healer, as a counselor. And he said that when I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to you. But at this moment in history, what's happening is Jesus says, "What? don't go yet. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go try to accomplish this mission on your own strength, your own power. Stay in Jerusalem. So let's talk for a minute about what we're going to read about in the book of Acts, the mission of the Holy Spirit. Before we get into these amazing stories about what, how God moves powerfully and the Holy Spirit of God performs these amazing miracles here in the early church, let's understand first what the mission is of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we're going to break this into two parts. The first 
uh, first part is this. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's mission in your life. Think about that. The Holy Spirit of God has a mission. He's out to accomplish something in your life. Did you know that? Holy Spirit is not just an added bonus if you're a Christian and if you want to get into the supernatural part of who God is, then you hang out with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God desires to do something in your life. First thing is this, impart the work of Christ to those who believe. Impart. The theological word is to impute, but we don't use that word a lot. What we mean is to impart, to give. Because here's the thing, not a person in this room was, was alive at the cross, right? So how does the cross benefit me if I wasn't there? I, I need God to work in my life today. Like I understand the cross, I'm thankful for the cross, but how does the cross have power for me, 2016, sitting in these chairs, 10 o'clock service right now? Well, the Holy Spirit of God is imparting the work of Christ to you. Let me just give you, walk you through some scriptures. First of all, let's talk about how the Holy Spirit of God works in tandem with the word of God, the Bible, in our lives. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing, okay? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what Paul is saying is that here's where faith comes from in, in our hearts, from, from hearing the truth that comes from God's word. That something happens miraculously when God's word, either I read it or it's read to me, I hear it, and more importantly, I begin to believe it. So what Romans 10, 17 is saying is that there's this tandem work between God's word and his spirit in our hearts. Now think about this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the words of Christ. So here's what happens. When I hear the gospel articulated, when I hear the word of God spoken, read, or I read it, my heart hears it, right? I still need a miraculous thing to happen, right? The Holy Spirit of God meets that word of God inside of me and works in my life tremendously. If I'm not a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God opens my eyes so that I can see truth. Maybe if I'm not a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God prompts my heart, stirs on me, and begins to call me and invite me into relationship with God. I may not know what that is. All I know is I'm being drawn to God. I'm asking questions I didn't used to ask. I'm being, right, I'm curious. I want to know now. I'm not satisfied with not knowing anymore. It might be very subtle, but the Holy Spirit is in you calling you to God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Holy Spirit stirring faith in us. Now, in Titus chapter 3, more specifically, we're going to see this work take place as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us. In Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says in verse 4, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about the work that Jesus has done. Past tense. When the goodness of God, loving, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How did he do this? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the Apostle Paul is connecting the mission of Jesus and the mission of the Holy Spirit. They work together here in tandem for us. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's actually imparting the work of Jesus into our lives. Let's think about that. Let's go back to the, the three things we mentioned earlier, living perfectly. Well, that's all fine and well, right, that Jesus lived perfectly, and that might inspire me to live perfectly, but it's not going to do anything to empower me to live perfectly unless God fixes something in me, right? I need a miraculous work. So here's what the Holy Spirit does when you believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit imparts the righteousness of Christ to you as a gift. Did you know that? We leave that part out of the gospel a lot of times. The perfect life of Christ is gifted to you by faith, simply by believing in Jesus. His perfection, his righteousness, it's imparted to you and to me. How else would we ever stand before a holy God? Are you kidding me? 
right? Because I can hide my past from you. I can't hide it from God. I don't have to tell you about all the junk I got into in high school and early on in college. I can pretend like I was a good church boy, but I can't hide that junk from God. How do I stand before a holy God? I need Jesus to give me his righteousness. It's the only way I get to stand before God. And so it's the Holy Spirit imparting that righteousness to us. How about Jesus' death, his sacrificial death? All fine and well that he died for us, but what makes it mine? What makes it yours? It's the Holy Spirit of God that takes that one-time event of the death of Jesus on the cross and he makes it yours personally. You trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit extends to you forgiveness. He says you're pardoned. But, but wait a second, I wasn't there at the cross. You don't have to be. If you will trust in me, the Holy Spirit of God will pardon you of all your sins, which brings cleansing, as we just read, renewing, regeneration, forgiveness. The Holy Spirit of God does that in you. And how about the last one? Resurrected victoriously. Like, isn't this where we as Christians must hang our hope? Can we just be honest for a minute? Being a Christian, if you're not a Christian here today, let me just disclose some fine print to you. Trusting in Jesus does not mean that your life will be free from suffering. It's not at all part of the promise of the gospel. God the Father chooses to walk us through seasons of blessing, and he allows us to walk through struggles and seasons of want. And some of us, a whole lot more of one or the other, right? And it's God the Father who leads us and guides us and orchestrates those things for us. But that's, that's why we can't hang our hope on what happens in this life. We have to be longing for something better, right? Because there's no guarantee that my bank account is gonna be full, that my children are gonna be healthy, my wife's always gonna be obedient, and I'm just kidding. And my wife's always gonna be awesome and love me well. And there's certainly no guarantee that I'm going to love her well, right? I can't hang my hopes on the things of today and the here and now. I must hang them on something bigger. And as Christians, we hang our hope on eternity, right? Isn't that the point? The resurrection is our guarantee that we've got something better coming. Whether, whether my cancer goes into remission or not, whether I ever get out of debt or not, Right? Whether my wife chooses to come back to me or not, my hope isn't hinged on this life right now. I'm counting on something better, and it's the resurrection. And it's the Holy Spirit that imparts that guarantee and promise to us. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit of God seals us and guarantees the resurrection for us. So you don't have to go before God and plead your case about how you were this awesome church kid and you deserve to get into heaven. The Holy Spirit, by faith, the Holy Spirit seals you for that day. Did you know that? You don't have to be working on your argument. All you need to do is trust in Jesus and say, you know what, there's no other way to get there. I'm going to trust in the work he's done for me. And the Holy Spirit of God seals you for the day of redemption. Guarantees you into eternity with God. So this is the mission of Jesus now imparted to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see in the connection here? What Jesus is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing. The next thing is this, the Holy Spirit, the mission of the Holy Spirit is to convict, guide, and empower believers. Convict, guide, and empower. If you're a fill in the blanker, you can go ahead and write those in real quick and then we'll talk about it. We're gonna look at John chapter 16. This is in uh, Jesus's public ministry. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit that will come once he departs. John 16, starting in verse 5, these are the words of Jesus. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. He's saying, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So here's what's happening. He had told his disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm not going to be with you in this form forever. And so rather than them being concerned about where he was going, they were really sad about the fact that he was leaving. They were more 
caught up in the fact that you're going to leave us here? What are we going to do? You've told us to, right, to, to start this ministry and, and to launch this thing and to go public and to take it to the ends of the earth. And how are we ever going to do that? So here's what Jesus says, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now we're going to spend a majority of this sermon series talking about how the helper, the Holy Spirit, is a benefit to us. Because see, Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. And as such, he couldn't inhabit another person. So the best he could do would just be inspire these, these group of followers and lead them from town to town and village to village. But let's just be honest. You read the Gospels, these jokers weren't getting it. Their hearts weren't getting fixed. They didn't just need an external leader. They needed an inward transformation. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to leave in this form and ascend back to the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's actually going to be better for you. Because now the Spirit of God is going to dwell inside of you as a helper. Peter, instead of shrinking back in fear like you're going to do here on earth, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, if I go, I will send him to you. In verse 8, and when he comes, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to be doing. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So for whatever the Holy Spirit is going to be doing among us as a church, 2016, we know the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting of sin. There's something I think we need to take note of. Wherever you see confession of sin and repentance, you are witnessing the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. It's miraculous. Why? Because we don't own sin, do we? We hide sin. We minimize sin. We pretend like sin isn't there. That's Right? That's what happens in the garden at the very beginning. And each of us has followed suit with that in our own strength and power. But whenever you see a human being humbling themselves and saying, you know what? I've really messed up. I've sinned. I've sinned against God and perhaps I may have even sinned against you. That's a miraculous thing. And Jesus says, you want to know what the Holy Spirit's going to be doing on earth? He's going to be convicting the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts. Verse 9, he, he kind of breaks this down. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the rulers of this world, <clears throat> because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What I believe Jesus is talking about is how he's going to continue to speak to them and guide them even after his ascension. How in the world is he going to do that? From the right hand of the Father, through his Holy Spirit. So he says, I've got more things to say to you, but right now in this finite moment of about 33 years, I can only say so much, but I won't be done saying. I can only do so much, but I won't be done doing, Right? I can only be in so many places here in the, in the human form, but I'm not done being. And so Jesus is stirring their thoughts about what the Holy Spirit will do. Look at what verse 13, look at what he says. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and whatever, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit will come to your life and guide you. Convict and guide and empower. What do we mean by empower? I was talking to somebody after the first service, and we're about to read a few verses from Galatians 5 about what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And this person's a believer, and he was saying, man, it just sounds like one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to fix what's all broken in us and to make us more like we were actually created to be. Genesis 1. Absolutely. Look at Galatians 5 with me. Verse 22. But the fruit of the, you say it. Spirit. Who, what spirit? The Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so when we say fruit, we're talking about the outward evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. What's been listed for you is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Anytime there is a true expression of love in your life, that's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. You as a human being don't inherently know how to love. Now you get into relationships and marriage is oftentimes promising to love and proclaiming that you know what love is all about. Let's just be honest. Marriage is a lifelong journey of realizing how much we don't really get about love, right? In our own flesh, what we mean oftentimes when we say, I love you is I love the way you make me feel. That's not love. Love is a willful, sacrificial choice to die for the sake of someone else, to lay your life down for somebody, right? So anytime you see that, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship, somebody is willfully laying their life down on behalf of somebody else, you're witnessing a miracle. In those rare moments when you're doing it in your marriage or in your friendships, your relationships, that's the Holy Spirit of God miraculously working in you and on you and through you. You go down the list. Joy. Joy is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just rain down to you whenever we spread the pixie dust around the room and we sing the song and we all stand and clap and sing, and right? That's not where joy comes from. Joy is the fruit of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Struggling to find joy in your life? Listen, you don't need another self-help book. You need the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes to you and guides you and convicts you and shows you where you're trying to hang your hope on things in this world. And maybe that's why you don't have joy. You're counting on the wrong things to provide it. And the Holy Spirit of God reminds you of what? The hope in the resurrection, the hope in a better life, the life to come. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So not only does the Holy Spirit come to convict us of sin, the Holy Spirit comes to guide us through life, away from our own ambitions towards his ambitions for us, but also to empower us, to make us more like Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, and that is nothing short of a miracle. Don't you for one second try to take credit for the ways that your life is beginning to look like Jesus if there's compassion in your life, your heart breaks for somebody who's broken, that's the Holy Spirit in you. The miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're gonna shift our thoughts now to what will be most of what we read about and go through in this sermon series, and that's the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit among us collectively as a church. Okay, we're gonna see this in two weeks in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moves in a way where it's not individual, it's corporate, it's collective. Large groups of people are experiencing it, witnessing it, and the Holy Spirit is moving. So let's talk through what the Holy Spirit will be doing. First of all, the Holy Spirit, the mission of the Holy Spirit is to unite believers together as one body. Unite. The Holy Spirit does this work. Let's just have a candid conversation. Um, so in our own strength, we can kind of unite with people who are like us, okay? But we can never in our own strength unite with people who are not like us in the deep bond of Jesus. So let me practically play that out for you. And this happens a lot here at Solid Rock Church, especially through community groups. You get a group of people who have almost, seems like nothing practically in common together. You got a guy who likes to play golf, another guy who likes to go fishing, another guy who likes chess. You got a guy who likes to read and you got the guy who hates to read, right? Nothing practically would say these guys are gonna be good chums and buddies, right? And then all of a sudden they get together and start opening God's word together and start discussing the truth of God's word. And then all of a sudden what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to unify these hearts together. It's why we don't build community groups based on our own interests and our own hobbies. That happens sometimes, but a lot of times it's people from different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, different political backgrounds, just right. And something draws us together. And all of a sudden I'm united with you. The apostle Paul explains this 
in a couple different ways. In Corinthians, he describes it as, he uses a human body as a metaphor to explain our relationship with one another, that we've been so united, it's like a human body coming together and all the parts start working. There's a great interdependency between you and I. I need you and you need me. In Ephesians 4, he explains it this way. Verse one, he says about himself, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all, now listen to these words, humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What does that sound like? Fruit of the Holy Spirit. That, that miraculous work the Holy Spirit's doing in you, now I want you to, I want you to extend that out to one another. Then look at what he says in verse three. Eager to what? Maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We can't create unity. We can't strategize unity. We can't storyboard that on the dry erase board and program unity. The Holy Spirit provides unity for us. Our job is to maintain it and try not to wreck it. How do we do that? We stay away from division, right? We're quick to say, you know what? I'm feeling tension here. I feel division here. Let's deal with it. Jesus lays it out, Matthew 18. If you've been offended by a brother or sister in Christ, go to them. Humbly, but honestly, share how you've been hurt. The goal is what? Restoration. If that doesn't work, then go grab another brother or sister, a witness, and bring them. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church. But the goal isn't to bring it before the church. The goal is what? To work it out and restore it. You know that, that famous quote where two or more are gathered in his name, he'll be in their midst? You know what chapter in the Bible that comes from? It's Matthew 18. It follows this amazing process of reconciliation. What's the point? That you and I would gather in his name and experience his presence together, united. Verse four, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In how many? All. Just the super cool Christians, the ones who grew up in church? Nope. This may be your first day in church. You may be sitting next to somebody who has spent 44 years in church. If today you both trust in Jesus, your hearts are united as one. You now have something in common that supersedes your hobbies, your interests, your likes, your dislikes, your pet peeves. Jesus begins to unite you guys together. So he unites believers together as one body bearing the image of Jesus to the world. Again, we're gonna see this play out, especially around Acts 15. There was some racial divide in the early church, some racial tension, some bigotry going on. The Holy Spirit stirs the believers together. He calls them back to Jerusalem to unite together and work through this issue and then come out on the other side better for it. But also, the Holy Spirit is here to guide and empower the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To guide and empower the church to take the, gospels to the, end, the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's talk about that. I want you to look with me. We're going to slip into next week for just a second. Acts 1.8. Look at Acts 1.8 with me. But before we read it, let's keep in mind. Remember what Jesus said? Don't leave Jerusalem until what? The Holy Spirit comes. Now look at verse 8. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what I want us to note today, we'll talk more about the mission next week, is the certainty with which Jesus speaks here. You will receive power. Not you might. Not the super charismatic Christians will receive the power. You can cheer them on. If you have trusted in me, you will receive the power. So the Holy Spirit of God empowers us. It's not an option. All this work we've been talking about so far, the Holy Spirit is empowering and working inside of you. And Jesus speaks of it with quite a bit of certainty, doesn't he? Right? This is not for the super Christians who memorize all the scripture and they get to experience the power. Everyone who trusts in Jesus and is a follower of Jesus will be empowered. But here's the question. To what end? To chase after our own ambitions? 
Man, can I tell you how skewed this is in our current generation? I think that we have seen, at least over the last 30 years, I blame the 60s, because I was born in the 70s. I blame it on you guys who are, but, but us Gen Xers have participated in it, right? The, 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 uh, the, the Gen Ys and then wherever we are right now have also perpetuated this idea. It's like we like the first half of this verse, but we don't read the second half. We've been empowered and we stop there. And then we turn that power of the Holy Spirit towards whatever ambitions we have in life. I'm an awesome car salesman. Why? Because I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, God may be blessing you, and he may have chosen, right, to, to make you good at what you do, that you might use that platform to, to be a witness for him. But don't take the power of God in you and begin to believe that, he, that he's given that power to you to do whatever you want to do with it. I mean, you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, you climb that corporate ladder. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, you be healed of your cancer. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, you be wealthy. You've been, man, that's a deluded, twisted version of the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not. You have been empowered to one end by God. And he says it right here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Solid Rock Church, you want to experience a loss of the presence of God in our midst? Let's start chasing our own ambitions and let's map out our own mission. The Holy Spirit of God will not empower us to chase our own ambitions as a church. He has given us one mission. With, with quite a bit of certainty, he said, here's what you'll be about. My Holy Spirit will empower you, and you will take my gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. If you are here today and you're a Christian, it's because Jesus is fulfilling what he said he was going to do. Think about that. He didn't leave this up to chance. He didn't toss it up into the wind and go, man, I hope this thing works. I've got a crazy idea here. Now, remember, at this point in time, we got 11 disciples. We're already down one, right? This looks like an impossible mission. Take your gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you kidding me? The 11 of us can't even cover Jerusalem. Jesus says, I will empower you. When my spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered, and you will take my gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is the narrative of that unfolding and that happening. That's what the book of Acts is. Luke has written down the book of Acts that we might see that what Jesus has promised has actually come true. I'm excited to take this journey with you. I want to today, I want to stop for just a minute because um, if you haven't been with us for the summer, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Redemption Stories, and it's been amazing. I mean, just the work, not only the work that God has done, but the way God worked through your stories in the lives of other people has just been, it's been amazing to witness. I almost like don't want it to end. Like I just want to look up at the sound booth and say, hey, just pick one, roll another redemption story. Let's just keep doing that. But here's what we have to understand. Like God is writing redemption stories right now. We don't have to go back and rewatch the ones we've already watched because today, right now in this holy moment, God is writing a redemption story with your life. This summer, you heard stories about addiction. You heard stories about marriages being wrecked. You heard, you heard stories about sin that had entangled. And you heard about how God had brought about redemption for all these situations. God is desiring to write a redemption story with your life right now. And it's a miraculous work you cannot do in your own strength. You need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to be imparted to you. I'm gonna pray for us now, if you would pray with me. Let's spend a moment thinking about this. Here's how I wanna do this this morning. As our worship team comes back up, I wanna give you a couple things to think about. And then in just a minute, I'll, I'll verbalize our prayer and we'll respond to God however he's leading us, okay? So here's what I want us to be thinking about right now. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never taken that step of faith and trusted in Jesus. 
Um, maybe just take a moment. I want to give you permission just to close your eyes. We'll just bring the lights down. Let's just zone in our focus for a minute on what God might be saying to us. And if you're here today and you have not taken that step, just think about it. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What is he saying? Is there a still small voice inside of you stirring up questions and curiosity and causing you to think about the possibility that God could be actually real and his plan for you could actually be real and the cross for you could actually be real. If that's you today, I wanna encourage you to think about for just a moment, taking that step of faith and trusting in Jesus. For those of us who are Christians here today, I don't know what the Holy Spirit of God is stirring in your heart right now. I know that he comes to convict, to guide and to empower. And so I believe right now in our hearts, at least one of those three things is happening. Would you take a moment just to think about that? Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What is he revealing to you right now? How is he trying to guide you right now? In just a moment, we're gonna stand to sing. And if you would like to stand and sing with us, you're welcome to. But if you wanna just remain seated, praying and doing business with God and working through some of these things, I want you to feel free to do that. I also want you to know that we'll have um, volunteers from our church, prayer partners, they're available. Every service we do, they'll be at the back during these next two songs and they would be honored to talk with you more about what's going on and to pray with you. I encourage you to go grab one of them and, and go to one of our prayer and counseling rooms and just pour out your heart and, and let them pray over you. However the Holy Spirit is leading you, let's do that. Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing mission that you're on to rescue sinners like us. You've sent the most precious gift you have, your son, to the cross to die for us. God, we are so unworthy. We come to you broken and battered and bruised and sinful rebellious. God, we, we come to you so unworthy, yet you wrap your arms around us. God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to this place. Move through our hearts. Convict and guide us. Lead us to truth. Do the miraculous work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name.